Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is splendid and well informed about these shorts. Uh, memoir, memoir, manifesto that's gone out. It's shorts only from here on out. Yeah, I did put it in the um, in the fancast group chat earlier that this I mean, this has been recorded the day before Chelsea away, um, so it will be jorts, jorts on the show tomorrow. I'm not, I'm kind of on and on in which trainers to go for. If I go for the kind of Vans like ones with a bit of canvas because it's a bit warmer, or go with them the bright yellow things then that I've got. So. We'll, we'll see in the morning. So, yeah, hello, everyone. Um, ready's go. That's the thing when you wear it with shorts is what trainers do you go with? Because I think, like, I couldn't wear my Jordans with shorts because they're too big and bulky and they'd look weird going with shorts. So, yeah, like, Matt, what, what's your usual go-to trainer when you're uh, shorting it? You're, you're mistaking the fact that you think I own more than one pair of trainers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't. I own one pair of Adidas um, Superstar Twos, and that's it. And Superstars are excellent, to be fair. Well, I mean, that is a lie. I don't. I don't classify like the Converse I have as trainers. Is like high top Converses? Yeah. Um, but I would never wear them with shorts. Full stop. And then I realised I'm looking over at the shoe rack in the garage now, and I have more <laughs> shoes than I've ever owned in my life. But they're all specialised to a sport or some kind of sporting Special. thing. So yeah, so I've got a pair of weightlifting shoes. I've got a pair of trail shoes for cross country running. I've got a pair of running shoes, um, and I've got like wellies and walking boots. These <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that I'm like I'm old now because I only have one pair of casual trainers. They've seen you come in with all these variations when a pair of sambas would do exactly yeah. the same thing for everything. Well, that's a yeah. that's a complete fabrication of the truth. That's simply not true. <laughs> hey, when when have you when was the last time you you owned some sambas? Sambas. Um, I had sambas a few years ago. They were. I mean, they're fantastic. They're fantastic shoes. But um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go for a run in a pair of sambas. Think of my poor shin splints. Yeah, well, that's that's a body issue, not the sambas' fault. True. Yeah, I've got to say I'm in full agreement with Matt. Like I've got two pairs of running shoes down here. I've got a pair of walking boots. I've got like, multiples of everything as well for some bizarre reason. It's not enough to just have one pair of running trainers. I've got to have the other pair, which have got like the rocks insignia on there for some reason. It makes uh, sense. Is it, is it socks or no socks though, Matt? What, what's the deal? Uh, I I I detest the way that. In the last few years, and I, I, I think a lot of people, it looks like they're not wearing socks, but they are wearing socks. But even the look that you're not wearing socks absolutely baffles me. Love that. Love no, but like, but, but, they'll, but they'll wear a smart pair of like shoes with it to make it look like they're wearing smart shoes, but no socks. It's yeah, just the weirdest that. look with like jack up trousers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do the jack up trousers because I find that really bizarre. But I, I often go. Shoes, no socks. It's just more comfortable. I hate wearing socks. But Apart sweat, from those... Sweaty sweaty feet? No, my feet don't sweat. So that's why I can get away with it, I think. Yeah, but those socks that I've got right, with, the, with, with the toesy ones that I showed you that I've had before oh with the individual toes. Oh, my like, God. I, I quite like wearing those because that's the reason I hate socks. I hate my feet feeling bunched together. So I get space with the toesy socks and they're, they're worth the investment. 
This is this is like when you don't like being caught in a dolphin net. This is where this has come from. <laughs> it's a very niche reference that they may understand. <laughs> Right, uh, news anyway. Uh, we'll start off with some franchise stuff. Got a bit of comic book news, quick cars, and wanky wizard stuff going on. Uh, we'll start in Derry though. There's an It prequel series, Welcome to Derry, that has been greenlit at HBO Max. It will be set in the 1960s and leads up to the events of It Part One. It's reported to include the origin of Pennywise the Clown. Uh, it does seem a bit odd when the film indicates that the origins go way back to the dawn of time, but I don't know if that's just the deadlights or, or quite what. But I'm a big fan of both iterations of It, so I'm looking forward to this. Matt, you're nodding. Are you uh, an It slash mm. Stephen King fan? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the it's already been well kind of documented that the source material and the films are miles and worlds apart anyway. So they've got creative license to kind of do what they want with it, to be fair. Um, as long as it doesn't become a, you know, a cheap and parody imitation of what we've had already. I'm, I'm, I'm all for more of it. Hmm. Uh, Stu, the director is on as exec producer. So you would imagine it will be very tonally similar to the film. Uh, you've got to be looking forward to this too, surely. Yeah, I think that that's, the main point to make that they need to keep it the same is the key there. You don't want it splintering off to, you don't want to be in like Robocop prom directive series, the other way. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just nonsense and it was made for a different audience. HBO Max very, very rarely misses anything at all. Um, mm. So being on that, that platform as well. Yeah. Bring it on more for this. It's quite, Good to see that HBO Max aren't just, or HBO, sorry, aren't just leaning and putting all their money onto TV to then build up a catalogue onto HBO Max. It looks like they're trying to appease both paymasters, like they're putting money onto the TV series and they're putting a lot of money into the, the streaming series that they're putting out. Obviously, we've had the trailer for the House Targaryen, um, is it the House of the Dragon, I think it's yeah. called. Which aesthetically looks like it's, you know, a million bucks an episode. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite pleased to see that it looks like that's going to be good. And hopefully we might get some HBO Max down the line at some point. Uh, moving on to one of Matt's more passions, I guess. Um, Fantastic Beasts and Dumbledore Secrets or whatever it's called. Uh, it released a little bit over a month ago at this point between the bad critical and fan responses and general distaste towards Rowling herself, I think. Um, it's only grossed over 300 million worldwide against a 200 million budget. So the chances are this possibly isn't going to make its money back at the cinema. Um, the series has pretty much struggled to find an audience throughout. Um, you'd think with it being like the inbuilt Potter fandom, they would be right there. But the first one made 800 million. The second, 600 million. And now this one, just over 300 million. It's now put the fourth and fifth chapters of this movie into doubt. Matt, you're the, the, the resident Potter nonce. So how, how do you resurrect a, a flagging franchise? Or do you just cut your losses at this point? I think, I think at this point you do cut your losses because I think a mix of the second one being, frankly, a bit boring... If, mm. I, if I'm honest, a second. The first, the first one of these was perfect at the right time, 
you know, for, for, for people of the original Harry Potter world to get another part of this story. And it, and it, it actually felt like a really original um, and exciting prospect. But then the second film was just, it was just boring. It, and then you add the, the actual stuff with Rowling and everything else that comes with that. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just tailed off. I think people have moved on and we're, we're in a more tolerant society now. And some of the things that she come out with it just doesn't fly. And, and people are more people are more aware now to protest with their wallets as opposed to anything else and i think people have just had enough of this this world really and i think you unless you do something completely out of the box to try and change it up you risk alienating the people that would have had enjoyed it in the first place and how often does a does a franchise you know mix mix it up and get it right i can't I'd have to have a sit down and have a proper think about when it actually mm. goes well. Um, so I think, yeah, cut your losses. Yeah. Stu, obviously you're a fellow Fast and Furious fan, and we'll get onto that in a moment. The Fast and Furious didn't hit its stride until like the fourth or fifth film. So something like Fantastic Beasts, which is gonna, about to do its fourth movie, if it ever gets greenlit, do you think something like just completely changing tone would be the way forward? Because that's how Fast and Furious made their, you know, b- became a bit more popular than just chavy car racing bollocks. Should we see uh, Eddie Redmayne in a souped-up Honda? Or <laughs> how, how would you rescue this? Cause, I mean, you've not watched any of the Harry Potter films, have you? I've seen the first four. Um, I don't know what... Uh, you know, that's the thing of obviously... And then we were too old at the time when the books came out. Um, it kind of passed me by. You know, obviously my sister's all been on that stuff. I mean, four years younger, and it was like that kind of. It's like you and Power Rangers, where you just missed it by a few years. Just missed it, yeah. Um, so I was never in on that phenomenon anyway. But I enjoyed them. I enjoyed the first four films. I, I've got them, as I keep saying, where we always talk about this. I'll, I will watch them at one point. Um, but when when Matt said I can't think of a franchise that's, that's flipped, the Fast series was exactly what I was thinking of, because it did it changed from the DVDs and the, all that stuff to what it is now. Uh, but if there is only two of these films left, I don't see why they just don't finish it, because I don't know if the story's all written out already. You don't want to be leave like Golden Compass and just leave it on a cliffhanger, do you? So mm. I think just cut the losses, just get it out and then just deal with it later. But it does seem that the the fans of this series are more likely to kind of vote with their wallets because of the controversy around her than anyone else. Like you look at a lot of things, a lot of the shit that's gone on. Um, like you'd still go and see Pirates of the Caribbean, wouldn't you? You'd still go and see stuff like that because their audience is there for it. But the kind of Harry Potter world seems to be quite, let's say tolerant. I'm going to say woke either. It's just probably more modern and they've, they've got principles that they want to stick yeah. to rather than me who don't care about you, art or artists. I've said many times, I couldn't care less. Um, and it, this stuff is going to affect the game as well. Hogwarts Legacy at Christmas where you saw the trailer, all the backlash on the trailer on the YouTube comments was... Oh, fuck J.K. Rowling. Nothing to do with her. Mm. She's not even involved in it. It's just her. It's just the world that she invented. But, yeah, I think that's 
it's probably got a lot to do with it as well, uh, just the mm-hmm. audience that it's with. But yeah, for me, I just finish it and just then move on and just leave mm-hmm. it be. Out of interest, Matt, have you actually seen this one yet? No, no, I haven't. So ironically, I fell asleep in the cinema for the second one. My brother <laughs> fell in asleep in the cinema for this one. So it must be a trait in the family. That sounds it. <laughs> uh, moving on to those rapid rides. Fast 10 has lost its director. Uh, Justin Lin walked away amid rumours of difficulties of working with Vin Diesel. Reportedly, he was rocking up late on set and out of shape, whilst also constantly criticising the uh, the script that Justin Lin had been working on uh, before a major disagreement leading to Lin claiming this movie is not worth my mental health. Obviously, Stu, Lin has directed Fasts 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, and he wrote and directed 9. How big a loss is this to the movie, do you think? Well, how bad 9 was, not much. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> <laughs> the last two need fresh eyes on it, but the more and more this goes on, the more it comes out that Vin Diesel's a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, the, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up directing it. To be perfectly honest, yeah, probably. And mm. written and directed, sing the theme tune as well. Go full, go full Waterman on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very. Todd, search that one yourself. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't know where. Like I said it. We said at the time. I don't know where they go from nine anyway. Um, it's just it it had gone way too far into the nonsense category to make any kind of sense. So, if Vin Diesel writes the script now and directs it himself, just why not? Just just do it. Yeah, he may as well, hadn't he? Matt, do you care? No, nope. No, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll move on to the Morbius first. First, the good news: Venom Three has been greenlit. However, the uh, not bad news, but just news, I guess. El Muerto is getting a film with Bad Bunny playing the titular luchador Spider-Man villain. Does anybody give a shit about El Muerto? It's a character who's had two appearances in comic books. It's got like hardly any backstory. So, I mean, in some theory, you think, okay, great. So they've basically got a clean slate. But is this just Sony scraping the barrel here? Matt, what do you think? I'm thinking about this. and then, But then I thought to myself... With, with how big the comic book franchise is, so if this was a if this was a wrestling thing and a, a new character was being introduced, you would say it was being done to attract the Latino market. Mm-hmm. If this was wrestling, but you know, rightly or wrongly, comic book films surpass wrestling. It surpasses at the moment most f- cultural mediums. Yeah. Um. So, do they need? to have a like a dedicated latino character to make them more popular or actually are they is this big enough that it doesn't require that so that was my only thinking that they're not scraping the barrel they're protecting not protecting their investment but they're future proofing themselves in an international market mm. um, and that could be the only thing i think they're doing with it, it it's an odd one because there are other characters they could have done to as you say, you know, spread it worldwide almost. I'm a little bit confused why they picked that. Maybe it's more because maybe I'm thinking they maybe had Bad Bunny and they wanted a character to fit mm. him. So they picked this one rather than doing it the other way around. Because he, I mean, I don't think he really like comes to our shores with any particular fanfare, but 
he is massive over in the states and and like Mexico and the like. Bad Bunny, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I think you know, star power alone, they probably yeah want to shoehorn him in, shoehorn him in in some capacity. Mm. I'm sure I'd read that at one point he was the most streamed artist on Apple Music or or Spotify or something like that in the world, which. Obviously, when it's a very specific Spanish-speaking musician, that is, mm. I mean, that's fucking, that must be huge numbers at, at mm. that point. Stu, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, the first time I'd ever heard of this man was when you put the story in the group chat anyway. I mean, <laughs> you say bad bunny to me, I think watership down. That's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's never heard of this character either. Got no idea. Um it seems very much that Sony has certain characters that they can use because it's like what happened with um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, where they had a load of promise, but then there were certain characters that they could use and ones that would have made sense to use. The ones that made sense were not available because, obviously, MCU films come first at that time, um, so they ended up with other things. This this is what this seems like to me. It looks like well, okay, let's try and go for a some kind of Latino superhero that we we can't use any big ones. We'll use something else. And like you said, if it's it's a clean slate to most people, then go that way. But yeah, obviously I'll, I'll watch it anyway. But again, <laughs> going in going in with absolutely no clue. So in, in that kind of in that sense, I'm more intrigued. Because I, I, I generally have no idea. Hmm. Oh, that's cool, then. Um, the Batman debuted on HBO Max, broke their records for the most day one streamed film ever. Um, and it has also led to the Batman 2 being confirmed as happening. Um, Zoe Kravitz, Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves all confirmed to be returning. So surely we're all happy about that. Um, speaking of sequels, Ghostbusters Afterlife has also been confirmed as getting a sequel. Matt, Batman 2, Ghostbusters Afterlife 2, thoughts? Um, Batman 2, yep, obviously all for it. I'd like them to explore the world immediately following the Batman. So I want to, I want to see about how the um, how the the gangs you know seize control of the city, how it descends into mass chaos. I want to see that world as gritty as possible. Um, it, is it Mr. Freeze from all the things I've seen? That's what, that, that's what a lot, that, a lot that's of That's one rumour, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting how, I mean, none of this is realistic, is it, the Batman? However, I'd like <laughs> to see how they, you know, keep that air of realism about it because, you know, a lot of um, Riddler's charm, not really the word, was that he was based in reality in set the incel movement and the, the kind of the world that we have now. Mm. How can they do that with Mr. Freeze? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how they do that. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife 2. Um, yeah, again, I, you know, I've said it before um, and I said it at the time that the film came out. I was never that big on Ghostbusters. It passed me by. It, like I was just too, too young for it. Um, but I really enjoyed Afterlife. Like I really, it was. It mm. felt like a massive jolt of originality, and I just hope to fuck the keep away from the old guard. If I'm being perfectly honest, because that was the worst yeah. thing about Afterlife. Yeah, um, I agree. And I hope that I hope they just keep that story going. You know, hark back nostalgia, fine, but just keep it keep it in the new. Don't rely on the old. Mm. 
Mm. I mean, it very much ended with Winston opening up the the old HQ, and it might be a bit like Ghostbusters International, where they have franchises across the world and they've got mm. all these different stories. I'm quite excited about the possibilities that they've opened up by doing it, but I also agree. I don't want to see Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd or the spirit of Egon Spengler, Harold Ramis. Like that, that was a great story, and it's now been told. Let Let's move on. Uh, Stu, Batman. Ghostbusters thoughts? I mean, I, I hope that they build it around Winston because he was always the extra one, wasn't he? He was never the one mm. talked about. So for him to have the legacy more than the other three would be a nice kind of a nice thing to move on forward with. And obviously, we we all loved it anyway. So yeah, um, more more of the same, please. And the same goes with Batman as well. Um, I'd go into Court of L stuff and go things that they hinted at in Gotham that were kind of we were deprived of when it went silly, mm. stuff like that. Uh, just yeah, keep it as keep that tone right. Which if everyone like we were saying earlier with um, it, if everyone's back, you'd imagine that it'd be the same mm. as well. The same as at least the first two thirds of that film, um, rather than the end. But that's nitpicking. But yeah, both of these were superb in their own right. And more of the same is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that's the news out of the way. Matthew, have we had any listener questions? In? We have, we have. So kicking it straight off with something that um, may mar us in the future for potential sponsorship <laughs> opportunities but david evans wants to know uh, you can only keep one major cinema chain which one is it cineworld odeon view etc etc uh, um i've only ever been to a cineworld so there are there are i mean i went to showcase years ago but that's i don't know what that part that's a part of if anything at all anymore um so from purely that point of view, I've only ever been to a Cineworld, so to keep that. It's a good question. Um, I don't think Cineworld show a great deal of, or, or much of a, a movie. Um, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, they don't show a lot of, yeah, variations, basically. They only show... In, in my time, having had my unlimited card, it's been very much aimed at, we'll get the blockbusters and nothing else, to be perfectly honest. So I'd quite like something where there's a bit more of a variation. Um, when I lived in Dudley, Showcase was excellent for that. They did have a lot more. They had a lot more secret showings, um, bring back old films. So I'd quite like to see. So I think probably Showcase, I think, is a better um, cinema chain, personally. Well, for me, um, I've only really been to, I think, like an Odeon and a Cineworld myself, but I remember kind of Odeon being the pioneer of this new um, regime of like what they consider luxury cinema, the first for kind of the reclining seats and um, food being brought to you and everything like that. Um, I don't, I, is Showcase a chain or is that just a thing around yeah, here? Yeah, it is. No, no, it's it's all across the country. It's quite. Uh, it's got quite a few different ones. Well, and you've got cinema go in the deluxe. Bin. Showcase can go in the bin. <laughs> That's for me because it, it like I, 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 any time I've ever been near the one at Castlegate in Dudley, it's made me want to hurl my car into the dual carriageway. <laughs> so I'll um, I'll go for um, I'll go for the showcase. Um, 
I think I, I might be wrong, but I think we've got a debut question from um, We Needed Roads podcast. Um, who wants to know? You have to pit two cage characters against each other to the death. Who do you pick? What do you think would make the, the uh, of the characters? What would make the most entertaining fight? Do you think, Andy? I, I would go with um, Nicholas Cage from Face Off as Caster Troy, and Nicholas Cage as oh uh, Sean from Face Off as well. So we'll just have two versions of Cage, both from Face Off, both fighting each other. Okay, nice. I like it. Yeah, Inception. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cage from Mandy. Um, <laughs> it's a cage from. Hmm. You think cage from mum and dad? <laughs> that would be good. To be fair, yeah, that would be brilliant. That would be really good. I, I think I was going to kind of go Mandy and Willy's Wonderland. To be fair, for both kind of like mm. the the violence and carnage, but they're obviously very very close together, aren't they? Um, but no, great question. Thank you for getting in touch, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, Matt Cuddington wants to know, he wants to know, what was the worst film or actor Razzie that was the most undeserved? Might take a little bit of um, stalling for a quick Google there. But um, David um, Court had commented on this one um, and he'd put, they had retracted Bruce Willis's ones based on the recent events, of course, talking about his now retirement from um, the acting world due to his ongoing um, medical conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, he has put some shite in. So, <laughs> should, should, do, do we have any um, any any razzies that you think might have been undeserved? Yes, Stanley Kubrick, worst director, The Shining. What? Yeah. And Brian De Palma was up for worst director for Dress to Kill, Scarface, Body Double. Oh my god. That's this is this is why I hate the Razzies because there's no, they're not actually looking at the worst films. They're just looking at the least popular films. Yeah. Or in case of Twilight, they're the most popular films, but they're not the most popular with cineasts. So mm. automatically they are shit. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not a Twilight fan, but at the same time, there is no way that you can compare that to something like The Room, for example. And the fact that they had that award for the worst Bruce Willis film of 2020 and then pulled it because he was ill. And don't get me wrong, it's awful that he's ill, but if you're going to be a cunt, at least back yourself up and say, right, well, we're going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. At least have the courage of your convictions, and they don't even have that. Well, this is what I said um, at the time about this. Um, I said it to David on Twitter that he still made these films and he was still shitting them. It yeah, doesn't matter yeah, that he was ill. That it, yeah, it's sad. He still made these films and they got released. I don't care. Obviously, I do care that he's, he's ill. So I love the guy and he's, he's done great stuff. But he still made the money from being ridiculous and awful. So I've got no sympathy in saying that them films are terrible and shit. There's another one out mm. this week. I've seen it the other day. It's just, just put it to the <laughs> list. But... You can't you can't retract stuff just because of conditions that you didn't know before. That's bollocks. I mean, mine would be just looking at that was Kevin Costner in the Bodyguard. Well, yes. it's 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 not a good performance, but how can you say that's the worst performance of the year? Of yeah. an entire year of yeah, no madness yeah. really. Oh, um, uh, while we're at, while while we're in this um, thing, I um, I met David and uh, his lovely wife Tara, friend of the show, on Saturday night in uh, in Coventry. And we can, I can now completely 
categorically state that after a few drinks, she's nowhere near as posh as she sounded earlier. Oh, really? At all. <laughs> if you think Coventry, that's exactly what she turned into. Uh, oh. She's a bit of a gobshite then, is she? Is that oh, it? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like that's, a, exclu- that's an exclusive. Take it to the bank. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Almost like a, like a Coventry Janet Street Porter. Good gracious. Good gracious. Incredible. Uh, Simon Gold wants to know, what is the optimal time to go to the cinema? I prefer the early showing, so I can have the rest of the day for whatever, and knowing practically the showing will be empty. Asking, as booked my ticket for Doctor Strange for the 7am showing on Thursday, so he would have already <laughs> have been to this. I, I, well, I've got to say, I agree. I am planning on going tomorrow morning before the Wolves game, just so I get a near as empty a cinema as possible. Um, I don't particularly get a buzz from going to like a busy screening or anything. So yeah, I think earlier the better, the less chance of people. But do you two disagree? I mean, do you enjoy more of a buzz from the from the screening or the, the you know the the feeling of the the crowd? No, no, no. I, I I completely agree. I like to go as close to midday as possible, preferably Monday to Friday. I like to go just after breakfast so I can get myself a coffee and just make my own way there at a reasonable pace. I don't want to be there. Like 7am, I think is too early because I would be hungry for breakfast come by about nine o'clock. Um, so, yeah, as close to midday as possible. Today, I went to see um, Doctor Strange at the 10.30 showing. It was perfect. There was like about 10 people in there in total at most. It's exactly what I want. So, yeah. I completely agree with you both. Stu, Sam, just to um, just to paint a picture, if you if you anyone Google searches um, Danny DeVito gifts, the one where he's just shaking his head with the glasses on, going, nope, nope, <laughs> that's exactly what Andy just did. Um, it depends on the film for me. If it's just like something I, I don't really care about and that I just I want I want to see, it, but then it's easier to watch it in the daytime. I'll happily go. At, between 10 and 2 in the afternoon, whatever it is. I mean, we, we went to see Jackass. For, what time was that? About 11, half 11, something like that? Something like that, yeah. I mean, that, that was the perfect time for that kind of thing. And that's where I was going to watch Doctor Strange at as well. Um, but I do like, for event films like that, there's something about the vibe of people. Not people being annoying, obviously, which they have to be told. Um, but... Like our experience with Superman, not Superman, uh, Spider-Man last year, I thought in a full full cinema that was really good, and we didn't have the woo and the, all the hollering and all that kind of stuff. We just had people enjoying themselves, and when you've got like moments of, like in Doctor Strange, there's kind of there's gasping moments and there's like there's funny bits as well. That kind of thing is better in a crowd for me. So I, for that, I mean, I went to R eight last night. Came out at eleven o'clock. Went for a pint after. Gather my thoughts. Um, that was perfect for me. I, I enjoyed that. But yeah, I think it just depends on the film. Okay, fair, fair. And probably my favourite question, um, and this is a great one. To be fair, if you could, oh, if someone from Andrew Wright, if you could only wear one movie-based coat or jacket for the rest of your life, what would it be? What a great question. Nice. I like that. Stu, you've been known once or twice to wear outlandish clothes. Um, what would you wear as a coat or jacket, the only one for the rest of your life? I mean, I always wanted a, a, a wax coat like Neo. 
I always wanted one, and I never did. Um, but I don't think it would suit my vibe, would it? So I think forever. Uh, technical dream coat, or not. <laughs> it's right up your wheelhouse as well. That's the thing. Like, Perfect. it doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah. Andy, yourself? Funnily enough, I watched uh, The World's End last weekend, which my other half had never seen before. I was kind of stunned by that. Um, but yeah, Gary King's trench coat that he wore in that, that black trench coat, mm. he looked he looked smart and suave, but at the same time, it can be adapted to look a little bit rock and roll as well. So yeah, I, that's what I would go with. Nice. I like it. I mean, sadly, it wasn't um, it wasn't in a film, but I once attempted or put the groundwork in to make my own Chris Jericho light-up jacket. Um, <laughs> but I didn't get very far with it, if I'm honest. Um, thank you, everybody, for your questions, as always. If you ask them, we will answer them. Nice to get a debutante as well from, um, from, a, from podcast friends. So any other podcasters that listen to this, if you get in touch with us on Twitter, we'll give you a little plug as well in the, main, in the meantime. Lovely. Thank you very much. We'll move on to the hot take corner now. Uh, streaming services have become what they were originally there to combat. So story time. I, I recently went through my list of direct debits just to, you know, I know, like it, it's adulting bollocks, but it's got to be done. Did mine and then, it's, it's not fun, but then you realise how many direct debits you have for Prime, Shudder, Mubi, Netflix, Disney Plus, not including like gaming and audio streaming services, that alone there is around forty pounds per month and going up. Like you know, it's it's not like it's getting any cheaper doing this stuff. So when Love Film and Netflix first started out many moons ago, it was a blow to satellite and cable packages. You get in a world of film and television at a reasonable price, giving you access to everything you could ever want. Now we've moved on and we're at the point where we've got all of these and then we've got stuff like Peacock, HBO Max, Fight TV, WWE Network. You know, there's all these other streamers and many more coming over. Plus, you've got IPTV. Have streamers just become the new Sky TV for for British people or cable for um, our American friends out there? Have they just become what they were there to really try and beat, do you think? Sure. Yeah, and it's going to be to the detriment of all of them because people will just pirate everything again. The whole point was yeah. when when things were on Prime, when you just had Prime and Netflix, that was fine. Because um, things that were on Prime were pretty niche and you didn't get it for that reason anyway. Um, and films and TV on there is a kind of a bonus to the delivery stuff, really, if you think mm-hmm. about it anyway. So... Um, and Netflix was the the bill and end up, which was fine. But yeah, I mean it, that's in the end they will all lose out, and then Netflix are losing out, and it's just a start. And uh, Paramount Plus is coming out very soon as well. Um, but again, their biggest show ever is Halo. I've already watched it all because mm. it's not over here, is it? So, and the point is, if you if you're going to bring Paramount Plus with a lot of the other stuff. No one cares about. People will just do what they're doing. Netflix. Some people do in Netflix. You have it for a month and you cancel. You binge everything you do you want to watch in that one month and then you drop it. Whereas with Prime, you're going to keep that. With Netflix, you're probably going to keep it anyway because it's just happy to eat. But these other ones, if it's going to be on a monthly basis, I could see people starting doing that and everyone's going to lose out. 
because I started doing that with um, with Game Pass as well. Like, I'd wait because I'd have like I'd do it three months rather than over a year or monthly. Um, you get the three month pass off t- CD keys for what twenty one quid. Mm. So you'd have three months, blast through games, and that then play stuff on. Just let it elapse. Play stuff on on PlayStation, then go back a few months later, and do it that way. If things were there and they were at a relatively sensible price, and they were all in one place, then you're going to keep it. But if you keep diluting everything and and the greed starts kicking in, then everyone's going to lose out, and that's that's what's starting to happen. Mm. Matt, I mean. Like so, I've got obviously Shudder, which we've mentioned several times, which is a very mm-hmm. niche product that is purely horror. Then you've got Disney Plus, which is just Disney, and it's got a few of the the Fox things. Everyone now is catering to a niche. Is that a problem? Do you think? Um, I don't think it's a problem because there's always been there's always been niche, and you know people. Will um, people will continue to want to pay for niche to to get that thing because it's niche because you can't get it in the mainstream. So I, I get that I've got a problem with that, but I think you know generationally Netflix it's just the new normal. Streaming is just the new normal now. So there will always have to be something's going to have to come along to change the new normal and be the new thing. You know I think like what you mentioned there, Stu. I think that single use subscription will have to be the new normal people won't soon people won't want to be have to be yeah you know, i know you can cancel at any time with these things but you don't do you? you you forget it bills the next month you forget it bills the next month single subscriptions will be the next thing like you you subscribe to this for one month only like a you get a card from fucking sainsbury's or whatever and then you you, you know just to make it more attractive and that might be the new thing i don't know but I think it's just become the new norm now to, to run this way and to the detriment of, you know, television in general, the, you know, part of what makes television so appealing is the buzz around like release and sitting down and watching it at that time when everybody else is and kind of interacting with it and stuff like that. And obviously you don't get a lot of that now. So Ozark, for example, that came out on the 29th of April, the last half of the second series, there's no, there is buzz because it's come out, but then it's just a, okay, I've got to digest it so quickly to, you almost don't have time to enjoy things when it's in this platform. So I, I do think it's a detriment to the craft, personally. Mm. Is there an element of Netflix taking or doing its own TV series, which is actually taken away from what people loved about Netflix originally, which was this catalogue of films that everyone's got? or everyone's you know, seen many, many years ago, and now it's all there in one place. But no, it's not. It's exclusive. Mm. Has that exclusivity maybe turned some people off, do you think? I don't know, because there was a point in time where Netflix you know, was picking up shows that never saw the light of day or never got a fair rub of the green, like Arrested Development. Mm. And that was a good thing, do you know what I mean? Okay, the finished product of Arrested Development wasn't a patch on the original you know, two or three series, but... Um, there was a point in time where Netflix was praised for taking on things and making it limited to themselves. So I don't think that's necessary. And, you know, there has been some great, great Netflix originals as well. Um, things that will now go down in infamy as, as some of the greatest shows of the last decade. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think what happens is when it becomes 
when it becomes the only option is when it becomes an issue because when they monopolize the market that much so that um, quality isn't an issue for them anymore because they've just got the market, that's when mm. it becomes an issue. Mm. That makes but sense. I didn't know, I didn't know people who used to watch, they had Netflix, but every day they'd just come back and watch The Office or Friends or stuff like that. They, they had seen over and over again. So for every one of mm. people like us who will watch Netflix originals and the good ones, not the, the mad stuff that they put on. I mean, uh, I think it says everything that how many, you if you go back four, well, probably even four years, probably two years, maybe just before the pandemic stuff, there was very few reality shows on there. And now it's just full of it. It's cheap to make. People, there's an audience for it. And and if you look at what's trending every every day, you go on there, at least three or four out of the ten on that list of reality shows, like the cake one, which yeah, it's mm. it's mad, um, and yeah, of course I've watched it, and I know I know Davis as well, but these things are cheap to make, and they're not they're just throwaway, and they've just replaced what was throwaway before that people used to watch with their own throwaway stuff, mm. and they're putting the price up as well off yeah. the back of that as well, so. I can see why the subscription numbers have finally started to fall on Netflix. It's not the the glowing golden streamer that it once was, is it? It's become a little bit muddy and a little bit dirty, I think. So, yeah, I, I do get it. Uh, we'll move on to the non-film question, which is Matthew, please. So, a bit of backstory. I completed Elden Ring uh, to Platinum. I don't know if Xbox has a term for when you get a thousand gamer score. I don't think it has like an overall term. Mm. Anyway, so I, plat- I platinumed Elden Ring. So I got all the available achievements on the game. And it did feel like an achievement because the game was fucking hard. Um, and it took a lot out of me. About 115 hours it took me to um, get <laughs> that, which is obviously a big chunk of change. Um, but what got me thinking was I started playing Guardians of the Galaxy afterwards, which is a very, very fun game. And one of the first things I did before I played Guardians of the Galaxy was look at the achievement list. And I realized that actually I have actively in the past been turned off by looking at the achievements. Now, for people that don't play games, an achievement is basically a little pop-up or a little challenge that has been completed, which has been predetermined by the game developer to give you that little bit of a dopamine or serotonin hit um, to say, well done, you've done this. Um, And they get progressively more difficult as the game goes on and some become virtually impossible. And it got me thinking, actually, are achievements a good thing or are they a bad thing? Good it kept me playing Elden Ring and I wanted to complete it and it felt great that I did it. Bad though, does it take away from the pure just elements of just playing a game for the sheer fun of it? I'm now playing Breath of the Wild and there's no achievements and I'm like, oh, well, what have I got to actually aim for Mm -hmm. here? Have I lost sight of what is just the fun of playing a game? Discuss. I mean... That's a good... Carry shoot. Trophies for PlayStation people. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's choice eh, again, and choice is good. Uh, when when they put enabled trophy support on PS3, I think um, it was patched. There's like infamous games like 
Metal Gear Solid Four still was never packed with trophies. It just it just hasn't got them. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of adds to it. Adds to it, doesn't it? it? Like any Nintendo game, you play it for the fun of the game, and you want the story. You, you're never going to get anything other than the fact that you've finished it or you've got what you you get out of it, which is most of the time just pure joy. <laughs> like things like that. Curve, I mean, I'm. I'm I'll be normally an hour in bed that when that Kirby game because it looks just mental, but it looks just mm. it's just pure fun, like they all are. Um for me, I have my trophies and achievements pop-ups disabled because I do not care. They annoy me. And I think it's because it I'm so anti-OCD that I really don't care about little trinkets in the corners and things like this and collecting everything. Um like but if you've got that kind of drive and that's a thing you, you like, then trophies and achievements are there for you if you want them. But the fact that you can turn them off if you don't, like me, I mean, like Goldie said before about platinums, I don't care. I couldn't care less. The only platinums that I've probably got about seven, you know, I can check. I, mean, I think I've probably got about seven, and they're ones like Telltale games that you get for just for completing the game. Um, you don't even have to do anything else. I mean, I, I broke mine as well, where it doesn't show up anymore at all. Oh, five, five platinums. There we are. Um, which, yeah, level. They put levels on there as well on PlayStation now. There's levels of trophies. So I just don't care. I mean, I, it's just one of them things. I'll, I'll play the game to play the game of the story or to have fun. I don't really want to achieve anything anyway because. What do you? T- I mean, I know you get like money and stuff on Xbox for certain achievements. Eventually, that's never never been on PlayStation. Um, it's all for bragging rights. But yeah, if you don't care, it doesn't matter. But I, I, the fact that they are there, they should be on all of them, um, just through mm-hmm. choice and just to give people who like them, they're there for you. Andy, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm sort of with Stu, like. Obviously, there's a difference between collectibles and achievements or trophies in, in PlayStation terms. I like to complete a game and then go around and collect all the... In, in Batman Arkham, for example, get all of the Riddler trophies. I like that. What I don't want to then do is spend four days trying to do a 250-metre bombing dive and then pull up at the last second. That level of it does take away from the enjoyment of the game. The enjoyment of the game for me is complete it, find out what the story is, get all of the collectibles and complete all of the levels, that sort of thing, all mm. the side quests. I love that. The trophies of it doesn't really do it for me because they do tend to be, like I said, dumb ones where it's you've got to do this type of a dive and then that type of a dive and then you've got to do both of them and it's just too much and they go to such a degree where it, it takes away the fun element of it it's almost like you're working at it rather than playing at it, and like that—that's not what a game is. That's mm. literally like the fucking opposite of what a game should be about. I mean, look, I go obviously go way back to the Nintendo days. My all-time favorite game is probably Super Mario Three or Super Mario World. They never had trophies. They never had achievements and and trophies to collect at it. All you had to do was beat Bowser at the end and save the princess. And really, that's what a game should be about. Is just winning the day, and I'm more than happy with that personally. Fair, I think th- fair. Things like that, where you say they're going back. I think the platinum for things like Heavy Rain. I mean, you, have you played Heavy Rain yet? You, it's probably free. Um, yeah, yeah. 
the platinum for that you have to get you have to go back to a certain load point to finish each, all five endings. You know, well, that's why. Why would you do that? You, that? That whole point of them kind of things is you pick your path, and that's your story. Well, you don't yeah. have to. If you want to watch everything else, like, um, what was it? It's completely gone out of my head. Telling lies. Um, mm. You can watch the rest of it on YouTube if you want. Uh, it's just baffling to me. There we go. Well, I, well, I think it's one of those things where I'm now I'm playing something on the Switch without any achievements. I'm thinking to myself. There was a very real opportunity I didn't play this because he's got no achievements. And I thought, oh, it feels like a bit of a waste of time, this. But as the game unravels, I'm enjoying this as much as any game I've played in recent memory. So, you know, I would hate to have been, um, you know, uh, disillusioned from playing just because of achievements. One that we're going to put out there to the gaming podcasts of the world and get their take on it as well, I think. It's a good question, especially when you think like effectively that's what modern life sort of is when you look on twitter and facebook when you try and get your likes and all that stuff the gamification of normal mm-hmm. life is to get that that dopamine hit so it's when, when you're playing that game and you just get that pop-up saying you've achieved something you didn't know you were even doing you think, oh, mm-hmm. oh good okay that's gonna take me through to the next boss but it's when it becomes about the grind isn't it that that's yeah, the difference exactly. i suppose yeah ah, cool Super, right, okay. So, Stu, what have you been watching lately? Um, I finished Moon Knight, and I think it's my second favourite of all of them. No? Um, it's different to the others, which is nice. Um, <laughs> for everyone, he's pulling a face, as you expect him to. <laughs> um, yeah, started started slow. I think it, it picked up in the last the last two or three, um, last second half of the season. I thought it was much better, but yeah, for, I mean, we did a lot of ancient Egypt stuff in um, in primary school. That was our that was our bag. So the whole Egypt side of things and the fact that it's I mean that last episode kind of turned into an episode of Power Rangers, um, which was nice. So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I know it's, it's not for everyone, and it's very out there and weird. But it is what it is. It's it's second behind Hawkeye now for me. Um, on the other side of things, Halo. Have you watched Halo yet, man? No, I'm not. I've, I've never really a Haloer. The only game I've played is is Reach of the Halo games. So, um, but you've never played any of them, have you? So I don't think no, it well, means anything to not to not. Like watch it or, or know the know the context. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played Halo multiplayer, obviously, um, years and years ago. I mean, you're talking what twenty plus years ago when the first one came out. Um, the whole red versus blue stuff. I mean, that's as as far as it went. So yeah, I've I've never played a Halo game in first person. Shooters are not my thing. But yeah, it's I've thoroughly enjoyed it as a as a strange kind of so in it. Like we were saying about Paramount Plus, you you don't really know what to expect with these things. How and some of the CG in the trailer looked ropey as anything. Mm. Um, you think, okay, how's how's this going to adapt? And obviously, we just come off the Uncharted um, adaptation as well, which has got its own differences going from uh, game to screen. Whereas this seems to I mean that 
the fact that they came out and said, this is not the game storyline. This is mm. following a different path. This is a different universe. But, okay, so there's your, there's your Halo fanboys out of the way straight away. But yeah, I mean, what, six episodes so far? No, I've, I've actually really enjoyed it as a... Somebody, I mean, I love the Expanse and I love Foundation and on Apple TV Plus, like I've mentioned before. It's another one of these very well done, high budget sci fi shows that's actually doing really well. And the fact that it's their biggest hit so far for Paramount Plus, I think, says everything for it. I mean, I, I'd urge everyone, even if you don't like Xbox or you've never played Halo, like I haven't, give it a go. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. Super. Matt, what have you been watching? I haven't watched a fat lot, really, because I've been doing a lot of gaming. However, like I mentioned earlier, um, the, the second half of the last series of Ozark is out now. Um, just finished an episode um, a little early today that literally had me doing what I despise and kind of shouting out loud at the, at the television because <laughs> um, it was something that I've been waiting for for so long. Um, it was It's just fantastic, fantastic television. Like I haven't felt this way about a TV show probably since Breaking Bad, really. Um, it's really, really up there. Um, also, um, on a hang- on a hangover, needed something to switch off to. So I watched Superbad again for the first time in years, and it, that film just does not let up. It is, it's just as good now as it ever was then. Um, and... I tried to explain this to Sam. The scene at the end where obviously they're at the, at the elevator in the mall and they're going off with their respective um, the respective girls in their lives. And she was like, she looked at me and and I said, I just looked at her and said, you just don't understand. This is this is quite an emotional scene. And she goes, why? And I said, no, no I, I fully understand that I'm saying this as a heterosexual white man. That I can't <laughs> just, I don't speak for everybody. But... When you're at that age, the relationship you have with your other male friends means more to you than anything in the entire world. And from that transformation from boys to men, as that scene essentially is, is really sad because they say, they're they basically saying goodbye to what makes them the happiest thing in the world, and that's them together and them their relationship and it makes me a bit sad i'm not gonna lie um and then it's all dicks fannies and pussy and all stuff like that. the rest of the film which is fine it's just a great film like it's one of those things that like it will always be like looked down on by the the elite um but it's just it's just a fantastic film yeah, I second that. I absolutely love Superbad. It, it's a universal story. Every, well, at least every man will probably understand that movie. I think that's why it still holds up now. Even though, like, the period of time that they're set in is, like, 10 years after I was that age, it still rings true. The only difference is the technology is a little bit different to what mm. I would have expected. But we've all hit those same you know, uh, marks in our life, and oh, it's such a good story. Brilliant. Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent has been viewed. That was, um, I mean, it was three weeks ago now in our life, but because of how the podcasts worked out, we haven't really had a chance to sit down and, and chew the fat on that one. We will do a picture pod on it at some point, but obviously we don't do it yet because it's still in the cinema, and it's still something that I think everyone should see. It's a really wonderful exploration of Cage's madness. 
Um, I think he really leans into his silly bollocks in it, but there's still a really interesting story beneath it. Like there is actually quite a lot of heart to that movie, which the trailer doesn't necessarily show you. It just shows you the dumbness of it. It, it, I just thought it was such a wonderful experience. And also, it was the first time that th- the three of us have been yeah. in a room together watching a film. So it was kind of awesome for that as well. Uh, I also went to see The Northman. It was all right. It's like a lot of people have properly raved about it. And aesthetically, it's gorgeous. Like the, the actual visuals of it are stunning, as you'd expect. Um, I don't know what it was, but it just missed some bit of friction between the... Uh, maybe it was the script wasn't quite right but it didn't quite hit home for me like I expected it's basically the story that inspired Hamlet which obviously then in turn inspired The Lion King so it's something we've seen several times before and other than the visuals it just lacked something for me personally if you're happy to sit there and just be engulfed in the the gorgeousness of the outer Hebrides or wherever it was filmed it looked like it was Scotland you'll probably take quite a lot from it it just lacked something for me and I can't quite put my finger on it um and I also last weekend watched Metal Lords on Netflix yes. which is such a such a weird sweet film like I expected it to be a bit slapstick and a bit stupid because the cover of the 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 the, the film is one of the main characters wearing kiss style makeup mm-hmm. in school so it looks like it's going to be a bit dumb and a little bit fart jokish and it's not at all it's actually like a really sweet little coming of age drama comedy like it completely took me by surprise and i, I really enjoyed it for that it's not the best netflix coming of age i, I think i still think moxie is a better film but i would recommend it to anybody who likes a coming of age story it was lovely so uh we'll move on to our questions next and the first one if i get back to my script is Stuart. oh all names um <laughs> almost like sonic which we should have said yeah, yeah. sonic 2 was great as well yeah um yeah, yeah so again seen the last night the um, since they've come, Cineworld they've started doing this weird thing where they don't put any sound on um, before the trailers, and even then the trailers are really low. I think because they know people just talk through them anyway, no one cares. Um, but then you have the phone, the turn your phones off thing that no one pays any attention to. And the, the last few that I've been to, you still had people messing about on them, um, looking at them, like turning them off, and you think, well. It's got to the stage now where enough people have had enough warning that now we need some kind of like, like you have to when you go through a, a metal detector at the airport and you have to put them in a little tray. If you go to the cinema with a phone, you need to put it in a little box because you can't behave and you can't be trusted. Is this a thing that should happen? Because for context, Andy was texting us while watching the trailers today, and I was thinking if this had been someone else, he would have been getting mad. So now. People have not learned. It's 2022, and people are still doing this shit. So if you can't behave, phone's in a box. I'm okay with texting right up until the card comes up. As soon as you get Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, 
that is when the phones go on airplane mode and into your pocket. Anything after that is completely against the rules as far as I'm concerned. Because like you, Stu, you do your thing where you close your eyes and <laughs> plug your nose or whatever it is to block out your, your trailers. I just go onto Reddit or Twitter or whatever and just read something rather than trying to get involved in the, the trailers if it's something I don't really want to get too involved in. So I don't think we should have to put stuff in a box because we are adults at the end of the day. We <laughs> should be able to not be dicks. But once the lights have gone down and it's pitch black and all you've got is the light of the screen, you don't want other people's phones taking your eyesight off the screen. It's so intrusive. And like you don't realise how bad it is until it actually happens with someone in spitting distance. It, it sounds like nothing, like, oh, their lights just come on. But even when people with smartwatches, they're not searching on it, but they may have just moved their arm, and that just keeps catching your eyelid, or your eyes. So it's we shouldn't have to be able to... We shouldn't have to confiscate these things. But I do think there is an argument for it having a lockbox that you put your phone in and get it done because well, we shouldn't be taking our phones out during a film you are right it's not it's not appropriate i said that that happened when we went to watch unbearable white when because i had my watch on and it kept did start doing that so i had to twist it around and have it upside down because i was sitting next to Matt, and you could see he's feel the rage um <laughs> I mean, he was already mad at looking at my shorts anyway but i turned my watch around and i thought oh yeah i never thought about this before but yeah, it's, it's every single little thing that's got a glow can't be dealing mm-hmm. with it. Well, those shorts, it's good to be didn't have like a twitchy leg, so I'd have had an epileptic fit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> shapes and colours that are on those pair of shorts, my friend. I think when it comes to like the technology in the cinema, I'm as guilty as it for anybody. So my watch will vibrate and flash if I haven't like if I've still got steps left to take for the hour, for example. Mm. Um, and I can see why that'd be distracting for people that are just watching and, and stuff. My issue, I think, with any kind of lockbox thing is just that. I don't trust the rotters of Wolverhampton not to find a way to come away with my tech. But I think one thing the cinemas are guilty of are no longer having those like Orange Wednesday adverts that were on in the cinema in, in like about, about 10 years ago. You occasionally get them now, but they're definitely not to the same quality as they used to be of years ago when it was like and the whole message of these little funny vignettes where they'll keep turn your phone off your balance. Um, so maybe if the if the cinema is serious about it, they up their game on the um, on the the pre cinema vignette of to turn your phone off. It's a good point though, because I mean they don't even have the staff in the cinema anymore like they used to. Like you always used to have a member of staff in the screening as well. So if there was an issue, there was somebody there to, to sort it out. They don't even do that. They just have one person guarding one half of the building outside. So. Well, I've seen, they, I've, they seen don't someone, so. I've seen someone come in in a City World screening recently with a pair of fucking night vision goggles on. And they've looked around and gone, Okay, right. To make See sure if anyone's think, on. Well, not, well, I think it's to make sure no one's filming, I would presume. Mm. Um, yeah, which I thought was overkill in the other direction. Like, do you know what I mean? If it was like heat, a heat, and I'm sat there in like a sweaty mess because I've ate all my popcorn before the film started, <laughs> as I've known to do. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be seen like that. That's fair. <laughs> what do you think, Stu? Would you, would you happily hand your phone over to the people of Cineworld? 
I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a bot. I mean, I, that was I, I was thinking of that because I'd, I'd watched um, Better Call Saul because that's back as well. But there's only three episodes of that so far, so I don't really want to talk about it yet. Um, and he went through an airport scan like that. And amazingly, they have got that at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well, outside the ground, where you have to oh, be, wow. before you walk, you walk up the steps, um, and before you get into like the outside outside ring, um, you have to go through an airport scanner. And there's like a, a little box that you put your stuff in, and you go through. Um, whereas Molly, you've got the, the people with the wand that don't do it for call. Cool. <laughs> um, it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be that, does it? I mean, you could have, I oh know, you could have a, a wall of how many's in there, like hundred lockers or whatever. And you mm. just put your phone in there with a key, and then you just go and do it on the way out. Leave the key in the locker. Something as simple as that. Maybe that's. That's what we will have to do, rather than because people would just nick them, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, did it. Ideally, like you said, you wouldn't have to even think about doing these things, but people are twats, so it's the world we live in. It's true. Yeah. Can I, before we go any further, I need to. I took uh, my brother to the absolute horrendous game that was Wolves nil, Brighton three the other day, <laughs> and I was in the Steve Ball lower, and he was amazed that despite the fact that it is a scan your ticket thing that it's still a bloke just pressing a little pedal to spin the turnstile around is it really yeah i thought it was just hilarious that there's still somebody behind there that just presses the button that unlocks a turnstile to then spin <laughs> that's hokey as fuck isn't it Jeez. Yeah, that's, that's, that's well that's the second most expensive season ticket in the at molyneux for you that's not in the, the same in the upper tier there's no there's no man in the box up there is not must just be in the lab. I, I presume because that's where the away fans normally are, so they mm. can't be can't be trusted again. Mm, could be. <laughs> Jeez, crazy. Right, Matt, your question next, please. So I'm going to answer my own question first. So my question is: Can you tell me about the longest running TV show or film that is essentially carted out the same episode or film? over and over and over again and got away with it now for context my answer is made in chelsea so sam watches made in chelsea and she has watched it for years and i swear to christ it's the same episode every week <laughs> it's 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 the fallout from the last week's episode then it will be the girls and the boys will go off on their separate man and women dates and then there'll be a separate date where the people that have bickered in the last episode get together and they have a paddy and then the love interest couple, which is the flavour of the week, have a falling out in a nightclub or they're at a party and then the whole will revolves again and it happens every fucking week and it's been years and years and years and I, I, was, I was playing fucking my Switch in the living room, shut it on and I just went, oh, well, they're obviously going to have a fallout at the end. Oh, lo and behold, they did and it was just, it was just, it's, I can't believe like, they get away with it and people love it. And it, it really wound me up. And then I thought to myself, God, I can't be the only, it's, it's can't be the only program that can get away with this. So I want to know what, what do you think is, is the, you know, what's, what's your version of this? Andy. Like when, when you mentioned it, like the, the made in Chelsea of it all, it very much reminded me of the eighties cartoons, the, the children's cartoons back then. So like your Thundercats, Transformers, they, they all basically had the same episode every single week, 
they just may have had a different coloured bad guy that week. That was the only difference. Um, but the, the film series that I think has been churning out the same movie time and again, and I might have to Google this because I think it was 1974 was the first one. Uh, Halloween, I think all mm. of those movies have basically been the same movie. And we've still got another one to come. And it's there's been no real variation. It's just been that we've had Jamie Lee Curtis running around with Michael Myers slowly walking after, but trying to keep up with her. And, and that's pretty much where everyone's been. They've hid, they've been set in different buildings and like one was on a school. And But it's all been basically the same movie. They haven't really done a lot of deep soul searching or gone into any themes other than we've got a hot woman who is scared and hiding. That's basically Halloween. And I suppose you can extrapolate that out to a lot of other horrors. Like Saw is basically mm. the first yeah. five minutes of the first film drags out across however many there's been. Stu, you've, I feel like you've got a slight... Well, there was there was a slight um, moment of hesitation to Andy's answer there. Have you, have you got a, a rebuke for this? Only because there's... There are certain Saw films that are cleverer than others and they are different to each other. They're all the gory and the puzzles and the things like that. Yeah, fine. But there's some that are very different films than the other ones, um, tonally anyway. Um, But whatever. Um, Mine was... I mean, I think it's it's a problem with a lot of TV serials, especially because even things like the superb Queer Eye, it's all the same format. It's all, oh, see the, the scraggy mess at the start, bit of crying, makeover, fix your life, here's the end result. That's all the same every week, but that's great. I think things that are just monotonous and the same is CSI. It hasn't changed <laughs> ever. I mean, we started watching started watching CSI. I, got a, I think we got a box set of gold. Um, when Ethan was... Ethan was in vitro. Um, so it was like 12 years ago or whatever it was. And watched a few, well, I think we watched about 15 episodes or whatever. And it was the same every week. It was the same thing over and over again. And the fact that it's still going on. And yeah, I think it's it Vegas now or whatever. Let's put it at a colon and different, different place all over the world, wherever, different place in America, Miami, Vegas. There was one that was a bit more techno than the others. I'll, I'll give them all a chance, but they're all the same. It never changes. But obviously, it's what people want because it's still on. It's still on air, and they still get ratings. And I'm, I'm presuming it's relatively cheap to make. So, yeah, CSI never changes. Like full disclosure, I loved CSI the the original series, and I watched the most recent one, which was CSI Vegas. Um, you are right, though. I mean. It's not just CSI, but it's any police procedural dating back to, you know, day dot because they're all they're all basically based off the same premise, aren't they? So it is just the same episode. What I liked about the most recent CSI Vegas was that it was I can't I think it was eight episodes long. They had an overarching storyline plus a villain of the week, which was a bit unique because otherwise it always just used to be villain of the week or they'd have a two-part and it'd be villain of the fortnight so they did actually try and meld in the two because i do think that the reason that csi now looks quite hokey is because tv's moved on mm. like thanks to breaking bad we've had season-long arcs of stuff like we never really got that before 
So we've got this, I say newfangled thing. It's not. It's, it's old-fashioned, really, but it feels new when we've got so used to your Monster of the Week stuff. This is why, I mean, it, again, I've mentioned it before, how how much I loved Hawaii Five O because they did have this. I mean, you're going back best part of 10 years as well. They did have this. It was, you mm. had certain episodes, a bit like X-Files, I suppose, where you had an episode of the week and you had the big bad and whatever. But you did have like double episodes and you did have things where that tied in over five, six years as well. And so you do have a kind of mythology in the background as well as the monster closets and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, that that's that's why I watched it from start to finish because I, I mean I love that show. It should never have ended. And well, it kind of plays into the Magnum reboot as well, which is not really that good. Um, but yeah, when, when they, at least when they mix it up, it's not just the same over and over again. But I think in the in the, the old twenty four episode season days, that's when it mm. got really tedious, yeah. and you could you could never binge that kind of thing. Not now. No, I, I did it like about a decade ago, and it's a lot of TV to catch up on when you start, and they're already on season 10. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. So my question is, what is the difference between an A-lister and a superstar actor? Can an actor be both? Is one more worthy or more important than the other? Stu? I think a superstar actor is some is more... Uh... It's more what you're going to see on something like Smash Hits or something like that. Say Johnny Depp, superstar, because he is. Regardless of all this stuff, he's a superstar. Is he an A-lister? No, not really. Not for me. I think when you say A-lister to me is someone proper, someone who's got actual proper acting chops, someone like Daniel Day-Lewis or someone like that, who's actually good (laughs) and really, really good in everything and, and he could do a monologue for two hours or her um, monologue for two hours and that would be Oscar winning. That's an A-lister. A superstar is all the glam, the gl- glitz and the glamour and all that kind of stuff. doesn't have to be great, but it's got the charisma and everything to go w- with it. That's what it means to me. So you've gone with Johnny Depp for superstar and Daniel Day Lewis as A lister. That's the the difference. Cool. Yeah, okay. that, that kind of. I, thing. I, can, I can dig that. Yeah. Okay. Matt, what do you think? Oh, well, I'd almost gone the other way, the, the complete opposite. If I'm honest with you. Hmm. So I had A lister to me. Um, an A lister is someone who I think is it's A list for a reason. They're at that moment in time the biggest thing going and by the biggest thing going they then have everything that comes with that world so watch sponsorship deals and they're on all the tv shows and they are they uh, at that moment if you froze time they are the biggest thing going in the industry whereas i think a superstar is something is someone that is there for more of a monetary success or like, how do I put this? How do I put this? So a superstar will be someone that, you know, can be, can be churned out 
for any film to give it a boost, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that film is then quality, though. Chris mm. Pratt. So yeah, potentially. But whereas an A-lister is is someone that is at the absolute top of their game and is respected amongst their peers and is then is then treated from like companies as as the biggest thing going and they want a piece of that action whereas a superstar is someone is more they're every they're everywhere but it's a popularity contest and that doesn't always equate to quality yeah i think that's i think that's similar to what i was kind of getting at as well i think it's just in reverse i think it's just uh, that we've i think we've just used the other term for the other one yeah i think from mine it would be like the one who the, the populist vote would be you could probably interview them, whereas someone who's just in it for the craft and who gets like the recognition on top of the craft, you'd be a bit like trepidatious about talking to them kind of people because you think, well, mm-hmm. okay, wow, that's a, that's a step up rather than okay, is the glitzy glamour? Yeah, I think it's probably just a labels thing. Mm-hmm. It's a p- put a name to a lister and to superstar, then Matt. So I'd say the I'd say the Rock is a superstar. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say you can attach his name to nearly anything and it will generate a buzz and excitement but I don't think he is I don't think he is at the level where I don't know how to start I'm trying to think of like in in my, so I, I, I maybe not now but in the past Johnny Depp was an A-lister because everybody wanted a piece of him not purely for his film because of his look and because of everything that came with him he was he was absolutely must have by not just the film industry by everybody else like all of the sponsorship deals he have savage and everything else whereas the rock i don't think has that or at least not in this country he doesn't yes he's got his line in under armor and everything else but he is he, he's there to be wheeled out for an audience Nobody, nobody buys, nobody buys a, an aftershave because of The Rock. People will buy an aftershave because of Johnny Depp. That's the difference. Okay. okay. See, I think I've gone possibly a little more towards what Stu was saying. So when I think of an A-lister, I think of the first, like, you need an actor for your film, someone who's got acting chops. And you'd have a superstar would be someone who's got the face, but maybe not necessarily the... They've got the marketability, but not necessarily the acting ability the same. So, like we've said many times, I adore The Rock. I think he's the best, but he is the epitome of a superstar. Like, you wouldn't cast him as Hamlet to go back. You know, you wouldn't put him in a Shakespearean play, would you? Because he's not that type of an actor. Mm -hmm. But you could fit him in almost any other role within a film. You just wouldn't cast him as the one who's got to carry an emotional weight to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think... Someone completely different, like Surrey and McKellen, a very different kind of actor. But if I had to have someone who was giving a monologue about something heavy, he would be the one and I would class him as an A-lister. So I think I'm sort of leaning a little bit more towards Stu. Um, there does seem to be some air of fly-by-night, though, with Superstar. Like It does feel like, I mean, you mentioned Chris Pratt just. It does feel like Chris Pratt's star could end at any minute and they'll move on to the next one the next big Chris actor. It's like we've had Chris Pine, we've had Chris Evans, we've now got Chris Pratt, there'll be another one down the line. It does feel like there is something a little bit nebulous almost about the, the superstar, like they do come and go almost. Uh, so maybe The Rock wouldn't be the best one because he has been around for quite some time for that one. 
But yeah, that, that was mine. I don't even know where that question came from. I was just thinking about terms within Hollywood and what they actually mean. The one person I do think is probably a little bit of both, or at least he was up until about two months ago, would have been Will Smith. I think he's the one actor who straddles <laughs> the line between the two. I don't think that's quite the case anymore, though, unfortunately for him. Right, okay. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get time to do a quiz this week. I've just been up against it with work and stuff. Um, but we would love for you guys to actually get in contact if you've got any ideas for quizzes or games that we can play. Uh, they can be film-related or not. Just send them our way to cagefightingpod at gmail.com and we'll have a look at them. Uh, next week, we're doing a picture pod and we're going to be doing 1984's Birdie. Starring Nick, obviously, and Matthew Modine. IMDb describes this as, after two friends return home from the Vietnam War, one becomes mentally unstable and obsesses with becoming a bird. (laughs) I mean, I don't know much about this film, but I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's available to rent and buy justcheckjustwatch.com and then you can see where it goes. This is Post Podcast Andy here, just to let you know that everything I've said just was a complete lie. We're not actually doing Birdie next week, we're going to be doing the latest Doctor Strange movie instead. As ever, we'll keep spoilers to a minimum, but just keep an eye out for it next week. Um, So yeah, please make sure you've got us on the socials, at CageFightingPod for Twitter, Instagram, all of them. Um, So for this week... Matt, can you hear me? Matthew says goodbye, everybody. He's moving his mouth, but I can't hear any noise. So he's just waving down the camera. So I will say tra from Matt. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, it's, it's also we, we sign in for him. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly for an, on an audio podcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, we might have something else as well next week. We don't know. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, you might have a surprise in store, but who knows? So, yeah, enjoy your week, people. Have fun. Ta-ra. And it's goodbye from me and remember, be excellent to each other. Mm-hmm.